Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You know, you come back to it when you're sitting in the doctor's office and they show you an x-ray that shows that you would have to go through major kind of scientific um, advanced procedures to carry a child when what feels more natural is becoming a mother to the child who needs one. I'm Diana Sugg of the Baltimore Sun. Welcome to The Wait, a podcast about what it means to be a mother and one woman's long journey to become one. With each passing month and negative pregnancy test, reporter Yvonne Winger tells us the loneliness in her home was growing. She and her husband, Artie Nordstrom, had been trying to have a baby on and off for six years. They were finally ready to confront why they weren't getting pregnant and ended up in a fertility clinic. A doctor there assured Yvonne, you will be a mother. But the painful and costly fertility tests were just the beginning. The realization of her dream for her family was still years away. The office was uh, pretty deserted. There wasn't really anybody there. It felt a little bit like a hospital setting. Um, when I went back, there was a, a doctor and uh, I guess a nurse that was with her. And I was on the exam table and I was really nervous because I had been told that the procedure was going to be painful. It was um, a test called an HSG, uh, which was testing the flow of my fallopian tubes to make sure that nothing was blocked. So the doctor does the procedure and tells me to go ahead and and sit up. She gave no indication that anything was wrong, which I really appreciate. Um, She was so gentle about everything, and I sit up on the table, and she brings my attention to the screen where the x-ray was you know, lit up. And she says, do you see how um, this is shaped? It kind of looked like a a V. And she said that my uterus should have been shaped like a triangle. And as soon as she said that, I looked and I knew that this was very wrong. It didn't look anything like that. The diagnosis was really scary. And a Google search just made it worse. Yvonne saw horror stories of women with her condition losing pregnancies, going into preterm labor, and having babies that never had enough room to properly grow in their mother's wombs. After receiving the news, Yvonne texted her husband and her mom, slid her phone back into her purse, and drove to work. She needed more tests and time to think. What would come next was a big decision. What, what happened when you got to the sun? Did you try to act like everything was normal or? Yes, we had um, actually 
a new policy where we all had to get to the office <laughs> earlier. <laughs> and so I was angry. I was like, today's an important day for me, and I have to... I have to pretend like everything's fine because I have to function at work. Yeah, trying to hold it together and act like everything's okay when when everything's not okay and is pretty awful. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but in reality, it was just one more test. That day revealed something big, but you can't use, you know, you've got to balance your time off because there's a lot of tests. There's a lot of appointments. There's a lot of you know, life stuff that you got to put on hold when, when you work. Tell me a little bit about the doctor you had seen before that. What had happened leading up to that point was we had gone for a weekend to Virginia Beach to be with my husband's family and my sister-in-law was pregnant and my other sister-in-law is an MD. And so the three of us were in the pool, in the sunshine, just talking. And, you know, I said, it's been a long time. We've been trying for a really long time. My gynecologist had said to me at my most recent checkup at that point, that just to keep trying, even though I was 35. And, yeah, I had first started trying when I was 29. And I had started and stopped because of prioritizing career and getting frustrated. Anyway, so we ended up this day, and we're in this pool in my husband's aunt's backyard, And my one sister-in-law is pretty close to having her baby. And my other sister-in-law, who's the doctor, she says, you need to go to a fertility clinic. This isn't how it goes. It doesn't take this long. So. uh, What what did you think when she said that? I just was like, but it can take that long. It doesn't mean that anything's wrong. Like, I know that I had one po- at one point gotten um, ovulation sticks. Nobody told me to get that. I just found it, and I thought, you know, I'll now I can do it. Now this is the information that says um, you. You pee on this stick, and it tells you whether you're ovulating. And I felt like that's the secret. That's the information that I needed to make this happen. I just must have been doing it at the wrong times, you know. And I, I, looking back, I felt so silly that I tried all these things. When things are okay with your body, I don't think it takes all of that. And Mm -hmm. I didn't understand at the time that, um, that, that these were all signs that something was wrong. So when my sister in law says to me, We should go to the doctor, I just, I, I, you kind of feel foolish because, 
am an intelligent person. I'm well read. I did research on this and and I your just, gynecologist had told you just give it time. Give it time. I mean, I think that was pretty key when the your gynecologist says that to you. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what I wasn't willing to admit to her at the time. Like how she was basing that comment on whatever I had told her. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, looking back, what I told her about it that led her to think that it would just take time. Looking back now, do you think maybe somewhere deep inside a part of you thought did think something was wrong and you didn't want to realize it? or No, I thought that everything would be fine. Um, what I What I wasn't willing to do over all those years was confront it head on because I was so scared to be a parent. I wanted it. I knew I wanted it. But I also wanted, um, I wanted a big career. I wanted um, adventures. And I didn't know how to fit all of that in when I was ready to prioritize being I I guess I was never ready to prioritize being a parent until it had gone on for so long the decision came down to what lengths Yvonne and Artie were willing to go to to have a family and how important it was to have children who shared their traits Did Yvonne, who's white and of Irish ancestry, want to share her red hair and the crooked pinky fingers that connected her to her grandmother and her great-grandmother? Did Artie, who's also white and of Northern European descent, want to pass down the name Arthur Hugo Nordstrom IV, given to him by his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather? They wanted to be parents, but did they want to force pregnancy? At 35, Yvonne had never been pregnant, and her doctors warned her there could be more standing in the way than the problem they'd found with her uterus. I wasn't feeling um, this desire that some women have to be pregnant. I never felt that. But you wanted a child. I wanted a child. What I felt more drawn to was adoption somehow. At that point, um, we didn't know exactly what our options were for adoption. And, but I, my, my husband, I feel lucky that he also didn't feel this strong compulsion to have a natural child so you know we we talked about being childless and what would that look like you're a reporter so I think you researched it a little bit right (laughs) yeah so I was really trying to find the wisdom from other people who had made that decision at different points in their life uh, looking back on it to see uh, what they their decision felt like over time. 
And so Artie and I would talk about um, all the traveling that we could do because mm-hmm. we love to travel. We want to see everything. And so we talked about going to Paris to see the Louvre, to see the Mona Lisa in person, to drink wine and eat bread on the side of a river. So you started painting a picture in your mm. minds, imagining what it would be like, lots of travel. Yeah, lots of travel. And I I dreamed forever about covering the White House and covering a presidential administration. And, um, and I thought about what that would look like and how good it would feel to reach your kind of career dreams. I thought about how good it could be Mm-hmm. Um, to have a life with just the two of us, mm-hmm. and yeah, but I could we couldn't get over what it might feel like to be fifty, sixty, eighty, and to have um, to not have the family by your side. You know, the missed vacations to Disney World or to Rehoboth Beach, to getting ice cream on Sundays or going to Little League games or dinner around the table at night, you know. We knew that we wanted more. Yeah, we wanted more. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Yvonne found herself thinking back to her childhood, to the life her parents had built. Family dinners around the kitchen table, her father in the bleachers for every basketball game, lots of love. That is what she envisioned for herself and Artie. They dreamed about having two children, a boy and a girl. But how important was it to them to have natural children? So I started reading books on um, 
different types of adoption, and I had actually covered adoption and foster care um, a fair amount as a reporter. I was drawn to that, and yeah, so I, I, I had, a I think, a basis of knowledge about the different ways that you can build a family through adoption, and, um, and so we looked into um, private domestic adoption, I think, is what we ruled out first. Um, and why was that? What did you find out about private domestic adoption? That It can take a long time. Um, years? Years, yeah. It, and it takes longer when you put more preferences on the process. I think you can wait years. You could wait three, four, more. I don't know exactly. Um, you get in the, as I understand it, with private domestic adoption, you get um, the baby's birth parents get to choose you. So you put together a scrapbook. So Artie and I in this scenario would have put together a scrapbook of our life, kind of showcasing um what well, we would want, the family and the life we would want to give uh, a child through adoption. And, you know, and, and of course it's expensive. It, um, the price that was quoted to me from a large adoption agency was on a sliding scale, depending on your salary, between something like twelve and 30000 mm-hmm. And so um, there's a lot of resources out there to uh, or ideas out there for raising the money so I wasn't necessarily deterred by the cost Um, you can do fundraisers with your family you could um, take out low or no interest loans you could apply for grants in the way that you would apply for a scholarship if you're going to college so there's a, there's a lot out there, um, at least I think there's, you know, a fair amount out there that you can do so the money isn't totally prohibitive. Um, but yeah, so I just kept coming back to this idea that every child that's born in a private domestic adoption situation has a home that's waiting for them because there's a waiting list, right? That's the reasoning. I don't know, you know, what the numbers are, like exactly how true it is, but my sense was every one of those babies has a parents that are waiting. Parents who've put together a beautiful scrapbook featuring their lives and what they would give this child. Yeah. Yeah. Yvonne and Artie considered whether to look internationally to adopt. Pictures and stories of children in need in foreign countries are compelling to them, but adopting is complicated and expensive. This kind of nagging, uh, pulling at my soul toward 
foster care was just always there. Since I was a little girl in Catholic school, I remember um, just being smacked with this idea that there are kids that don't have the home that I have, that their life didn't look anything like mine. You know, I, um, I was really privileged and insulated from the awfulness that is in this world. And so it was startling to learn, you know, as a little girl that there was um, families that didn't look like mine, that kids that didn't have what I had in terms of love and stability and um, the same bedroom to go home to in first grade and second grade and third grade. And, you know, it just... um, So I just always carried that with me. So there was one um, particular moment when I felt like my decision was made. It was um, probably around September of 2015, and the city had gone through the riots and unrest um, in April of that year. And there was a lot of soul-searching, I hope there still is, about why this happened and what it expressed about the needs that weren't being met in our city. And I did it too, and already did it. And we talked about how we could contribute to the good and foster care seemed like something that we could do. There was one particular moment when I felt like I had made my decision. Uh, I can see myself. I was driving in my car uh, one morning to volunteer at the school for a program called Reading Partners. I've been working with a little girl, uh, tutoring her on her reading. And the way the program is set up, it's like you can see the results of your work um, throughout the course of the school year. So you can see the child progressing and you can feel um, like you're having a direct result on, uh, on on this child. And, and so I was driving to the school, and I, it was something about understanding what I was doing that day, um, the, the song that was on the radio, and this man walked in front of my car, and I just had to slow down uh, physically. And, and I thought, like... I don't know, I just was hit. I was like, I need to do this. This is what I can do. At first, Artie isn't as convinced as Yvonne, but after an introductory session at the Department of Social Services, 
they are all in. The 27 hours of training to become foster parents was, at times, shocking. They learned about the ways trauma comes out in these children's lives. Fighting, night terrors, violent outbursts, withdrawal from drug exposure. Yvonne and Artie know foster care won't be an easy route to building a family, but they believe they can do some good, and if they're lucky, maybe even adopt a child. Yvonne and Artie's families were supportive, though they were also concerned about the emotional toll of foster parenting. At one point, a relative offers $30,000 to help Yvonne and Artie adopt, but they say no. They feel committed to helping children who are right here, in the city, and in need. They tell the agency they can start accepting children as soon as Baltimore's mayoral primary is over and work calms down for Yvonne, then a city hall and politics reporter. Then a call comes. I was sitting at my computer and the placement unit called and said, Uh, There was a 15-month-old who was abandoned by his mother. And I said yes. Um, I didn't ask what his name was. (laughs) I forgot. I didn't ask some of the things that I had wanted to ask strategically to find a child who'd be maybe more likely to... Um, like if, if a parent has had multiple children who've gone on to be adopted through foster care, then, um, then a new placement from that family might be more likely to end in adoption as well. Um, but the word abandoned signaled to me that maybe this 15 month old little boy would be available someday for adoption. And so, yeah, I said yes, and I hung up, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, so I said to my coworker next to me, Erica, what, what does a 15-month-old need? And so she helped me come up with a list and approximate diaper size, and, um, and then I told uh, the editors that we got this call, and the editors had agreed that I could take my vacation time at a moment's notice. And so I was like, I'm going to take some vacation mm-hmm. <laughs> for the rest of this week. And so I went to the store and I was shopping and, um, you're getting diapers and yeah. And, uh-huh. and food and milk and, um, bottles. <laughs> I bought some bottles and, um, there were so many nights when Artie and I were trying to have a baby or weren't trying and just there were so many nights that I came home from work and every light in the house was off because he worked so early in the mornings he would often be sleeping before I got home and it always made me so sad because my house it was such contrast from the life that I wanted and from the life that I had you know so it was a symbol of kind of the loneliness and the quiet that was inside the house. On this night, the lights were on, and I knew for the first time in my life there was a little boy 
in that house. Next on The Wait, The Big Picture. The toddler placed with Yvonne is one of hundreds of thousands of children around the country in foster care. Then... Could this be my son? The Wait is a podcast of The Baltimore Sun. Yvonne's story is also being told through words, pictures, and video on our website. Go to baltimoresun.com slash the wait. The podcast producers are Quinn Kelly and Steve Early. For Yvonne Wanger, I'm Diana Sugg. Bye-bye. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 